Well, hello, everyone. Today's sermon is titled, Showing Your Work, and we'll get to that in a minute. But first, we need an obligatory slide about the 4th of July. Now, I know of at least one or two people here that are trying to go to a parade after this, so I know I've got a shortened timeline, um, and I make no promises of what I will do with that information. Um, I was like, it's like 90 degrees out, and you're going to a parade? I don't know. That's patriotic. I... Um, I'm going to sit inside with my pregnant wife, enjoying our air conditioning today. Um, yeah. Um, so we're in our series, Sharpened Iron. It's the 4th of July. So if you want to imagine this is a sparkler instead of iron striking iron, you're free to do that today. Um, yeah, so we're going to jump in. Um, we've been in Proverbs 28 and 29, and um, we're going to be there again today. We've got two more weeks left of this series, um, and this is the statement that we are working through each week. I want to understand God with such integrity that it does not matter what arises. I am able to respond with wise action that leads others to begin to understand God in the same way and do the same types of actions. Now, Two weeks ago, we talked about understanding God and how uh, the starting point of that is his word, what he has revealed to us and for us to go in and dig into and start to better understand who he is and who we are in light of that. Last week, we talked about integrity, which is tied to the idea of critical thinking and action and intentional action based on what we learn about God and who we are in his word. And today, we're going to talk about wise action. I am able to respond with wise action. So today we're going to talk about wisdom, and I need to address the elephant in the room before we jump in. Um, When I first wrote out the stuff for this series, um, I said the words we needed were understanding, integrity, pursuit, and modeling. And then as I was prepping the sermon, this is all from stuff I've done in one really fast Prezi sermon in the past, I realized pursuit wasn't the right word, Um, and the reason I used to use the word pursuit is because I felt like wisdom wasn't the right word, and now I'm back to wisdom, and what I need you to know is that as I kind of land on this idea of wisdom today, I think I have a different definition of wisdom than I had the last time I did this, so I've become more wise, but also I think it's a different definition of wisdom than what we're used to or accustomed to, so hopefully... We're going to have fun today as we look at maybe a different way of thinking about wisdom. Um, But before we jump in, let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for this day. Um, We thank you for how good you are, Lord. We thank you for the chance we have to gather together, the freedom we have to gather together. We thank you that you are good, Lord. We thank you that you are in control, you are sovereign, you are all-knowing, all-powerful, you are everywhere. We thank you that you are unchanging, that you are merciful, that you are perfect, that you love us so much that we thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you that because of who you are, we have been invited to be your image bearers, and we pray that today we would be critically thinking about that. We'd think about who we are, who you created us to be, and and we would just desire and move towards being the types of people that you have for us and would have of us. I pray that these would be your words and not mine, that you'd be speaking to all of us through your spirit, and we thank you for this time we have. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Now, before we jump into a definition of wisdom, we need to talk about general rules of Proverbs. And we've been doing this every week, but just in case some of you are new or in, you guys don't remember what I say every week, I say too much. So, um, but, so we're in the book of Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs is a book of principles, not promises. That's something we need to remember. The book of Proverbs, in a perfect world, would always be true. But we don't live in a perfect world. So when Proverbs promises us, if you do the right thing, the right thing will happen to you. We know we live in a fallen world. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. But with Proverbs, we're looking at the ideal view before we get into the nitty-gritty. And so we need to recognize that. Our passage for today and in general for this series comes from iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another or one person sharpens another. And um, as we jump into this today, I want to remind you, we use that passage to talk about discipleship, but that passage is not a promise that when you're amongst other Christians, you'll be discipled well and that's it. It's, it's a conversation about we're being shaped by any and every interaction And do we know how we're being sharpened? Because we can be sharpened towards righteousness, or we can be sharpened towards wickedness. It's it's a both and. Both can be happening. Proverbs 28 and 29 is about righteous culture building or wicked culture building. We need to recognize that both of these are an option. And we want to be moving towards righteousness, but we need to think about it and, and how to get there. So we've looked at this each week. The, the first week we talked about understanding, then we talked about integrity, and last week we mentioned the central verse in Proverbs 28 and 29 is a warning that if you don't follow these things, at some point if you stiffen your neck, at some point it'll break. Um, and today we're going to talk about wisdom, and then next week we'll look at modeling. Um, but on each end of each of these is when the righteous rise or when the wicked rise. When the righteous rise, when the wicked rise. And so, so we're going to look at that more, but we need to remember those things as we jump in. The last thing we need to remember is that Proverbs 28 and 29 is designed with a clearly defined kingdom in mind. We need to understand the kingdom we're talking about, so we're not trying to talk. If, if we try and talk about the whole world when we read this passage, we're going to be overwhelmed and not be able to take a lot from it, except, well, what do we do with this? If we try and make it about more than what it is, we're going to have the same problem. For an ancient Israelite, this passage would have been tied to an Israelite in the kingdom of Israel or kingdom of Judah, probably by the time this was written. It would not have been for the other kingdoms around them, even though those other kingdoms would benefit from it. And if Israel was doing what Israel was called to do, they'd be helping those other kingdoms see it. For us today as a Christian, I am a part of the kingdom of God. That is the citizenship that is primary. Jesus is king of my life. If you are a Christian, hopefully that is true of you too, because that's the definition of being a Christian. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. If I follow him, I'm a part of his kingdom. The kingdoms of the world, including the kingdom that today we are celebrating our freedom in, is not the kingdom of God. And we can say, well, isn't the Bible for everyone? And the answer is yes, but we need to start with our kingdom. We need to start with our house, our community, our church, and then work outward. Because if we're not building a righteous culture, what on earth are we going to multiply outward? And so we need to remember that, we need to think about that, and we need to start from there. This does not mean the Bible is not for the rest of the world, but this does mean we need to recognize our starting point. We need to look at the culture we're building up as a church. So the question today, I want to understand God with such integrity that it does not matter what arises, I am able to respond with wise action. 
We're asking today, what does it look like to respond with wise action, and how does it differ from integrity? And I have to tell you, as we jump in, I think just about every definition of wisdom I've found is bad. And how arrogant of me to say that. Um, But let me show you a few. Um, The first one, I ran across this a couple months ago, and it makes me giggle, but knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Now, this was maybe said by Miles Kington or maybe Brian O'Driscoll. Um, different websites say, attribute it to different people. Um, I don't know who said it first. I couldn't find it. In all of my Google searches, I came up with both of them were the originator of it. So maybe both of them said it. Um, but some people think this, wow, what a great definition of wisdom. But then you Google and hey, uh, Holly Ramdeen talks about, we're going to talk to you or talk you into putting tomatoes in your fruit salad, if you go on, like, websites with recipes, you'll see you you can type in fruit salad, and then what ingredients do you want? Tomatoes. And and there's a ton of recipes that are really highly rated. Now, I haven't tried any of them, but the point is, maybe this isn't a great definition. A smart person knows what to say. A wise person knows whether or not to say, or knows whether or not to say it. Now, some people are like, yeah, that's a good definition, but wouldn't a smart person know what to say? Couldn't it be, I know to say nothing right now. Like, I, you can say this, but these are both knowledge-oriented. It's not that one of these is more than the other. Um, another one, the only true wisdom is in knowing you know nothing. And this is by Socrates. Um, I mean, it sounds really good, and it sounds like it would get you a lot of Instagram followers. But does this mean anything? If you think about it a while, it does, but it seems pretty fluid. Knowledge is realizing the street is one way. Wisdom is looking both directions anyway. Now, I didn't want to use this one, and then I saw it every time I googled something about wisdom, looking for different images to put up. And my problem here is, does knowledge not make you think I should look both? Like, I just, I, I just have to pick these apart. I'm sorry, everybody. You have to sit through this with me. Marcel Proust says, we don't receive wisdom, we must discover it for ourselves after a journey that no one can take for us or spare us. Now this right here, in my mind, is every like 18 to 30 year old female Instagram influencer. Okay? They, they have this like, it's my journey, I've got to discover it for myself, just I've been through the hard stuff, I've been through the good stuff, I'm getting there. It's also every country music singer. It's, it's just, it's what it is. It's we like this type of definition. And the problem here is if we carry this to the logical end, it means we don't need anyone else. We need to discover everything for ourselves. And then what is wisdom except living longer? And if wisdom is just from being the oldest, I've met some old people who are very foolish And so if our understanding of wisdom is all about age and experience, we have a very bad definition of wisdom. The best definition I found. Dwight Schrute, before I do anything, I ask myself, would an idiot do that? And if the answer is yes, I do not do that thing. Um, This was the one that made me the happiest. The problem is, is as soon as an idiot decides to ask themselves, would an idiot do that? his whole framework just falls apart. Um, 
I joke here, but, but what I want to tell you is if I put up a hundred quotes, if we just did this all morning, what, what you'll find is most quotes about wisdom are just about knowing better or knowing more. And, and I think that there's something to that in wisdom, but when that is our definition of wisdom, our, our wisdom is just about head or heart knowledge, what we talked about last week. It's, it's no different than what we talk about with integrity. And I think wisdom's very different than what we talked about last week. And I'm going to try and illustrate that by telling you a definition of wisdom. Wisdom is understanding why you need to show your work on a multiple choice math test in your first semester of eighth grade. When I was an eighth grader, my family um, had moved to Johnston, Iowa, halfway through my seventh grade year. And before being in Johnston, Iowa, the school we had been at, um, in my middle school, I was in like upperclassman math. I was doing like freshman math as a seventh grader. And I was like, oh, I love math. I'm really nerdy about math. Um, I do all these things like where um, this was in one of our math classes. If we ran out of things to do, they'd give us these cards that had four numbers. And you had to show, can you reach 24 with these numbers? On the clock back there, it says 1136. And you put those together and you go 1 plus 3 equals 4 times 6 equals 24 times 1 equals 24. And so I do that all the time to this day. I do it everywhere. It's really nerdy. I'm sorry. But I, I do this. I do this a lot. I love math. But when we moved halfway through seventh grade, I was told, well, we don't let people join the advanced math halfway through the year. And then I got to the math class that first day of school. And in that math class, we were doing things I'd done like three years earlier. So I knew them already. So I got bad grades because that's what a teenage boy does. I already know this, so I'm not going to do it. Like what? So then in eighth grade, I was told, well, no, you can't move up to the advanced math class. You're a B student on math you say you know. And I was like, well, I do know it. So I got into eighth grade. The very first test, we were doing like super long multiplication problems, like 5,438 times 23. And what I remember is that first day, we were in a grid, like a, in our seating, like five by five by five, you know, or five by five, not five high. That would be funny if we had bunk desks. But um, so I was the third person in the far row. So I was the third person to get the test. And the teacher, even though he was a math teacher, he was very inefficient. He would put, and by the way, I'm going to talk negatively about this teacher, but this teacher would talk just as negatively about me. Um, so I, I put down the test, put down the second test, Put down the, he gives me the test, and I see, okay, there's a column with the question. There's a column with four answers per. It's multiple choice in eighth grade math. And then there's a column for us to show our work. But here's the thing. When the math question is like, whatever, 5,482 times 23, if, if the starting point is, there's a three and a two, three times two is six, and if only one multiple choice answer has a six in the ones column, what am I doing? Why am I wasting my time? So I just, okay, that's all right. And I was determined to show this teacher I should be in the better math class. And so I, I, and, and I, I finished the test before he finished passing them out. And I was like, this is going to prove it. Look how smart I am. Look how great I am. As he was walking back to the front, I'm walking over to him. I'm done. He goes, did you show your work? And I go, I didn't have to. And he looks at me and he's like, are you sure you got them all right? Yeah, I'm sure I got them all right. And he goes, do you want to sit down and show your work? Uh, No, no. And I got them all right. He goes, how did I know you didn't cheat? Well, because the test was easy. Um, And so here, arrogant 13 or 14 year old me is just 
come on, come on. And this teacher is looking at me, and he goes, how do I know you didn't cheat? The test is easy. And he's like, all right, well, you're going to come in after school today, and I'm going to put a bunch of questions on the board, and you're going to show me you know how to do this. Because if you don't want to show your work there, that's what you need to do. And so I came in after school, and I came in after school. This was like third period. I spent the rest of the day brushing up on my math game because I was determined not to show any work but prove I could answer all the questions. This is true, and I did. Um, Not to pat myself on the back, um, but I was so determined. And here's what happened out of that. The teacher said, well, what are you going to do when you get further into math and you have to show your work? What are you going to do when you get to calculus and you have to show your work? In church, let me tell you, I showed him. I never took calculus. So I, I, like, I was so like proud of what I did. And here is the outcome. Math was my favorite class, but because I wouldn't show my work and because we had that bad interaction at the start of the year, the rest of the year I was determined to try and show this guy up. It didn't work. He won. Um, he totally won. He would start doing, he'd say, Matt, you have to show your work on this assignment. And if I got the right answer but didn't show my work right, he'd count half the question off. So I was like a B and a C student in math, even though I was like, I can do this in my head. But he was like, if you're not going to do it the right way, you're going to lose points. And I was like, fine, I'm going to lose points, but I got the right answers. And after that, I never liked math again. Um, Proud moment. In college, I, I tested out of a math class but I didn't really test out. I had to do it, like, um, it was for film school, and the person who graded my test added up how many I missed wrong, and so I passed the math test and didn't have to, like, I saved money on a course, but really it was that the person who graded the math test did math bad um, because I got, like, a 68, and I need to get a 75, but they did the math wrong, so thank you, whoever did that. But the point here is, the point here is, and I, I joke about this, but think of how I was shaped. I loved math, but because it didn't go the way I wanted, I, I was a jerk. I was a punk. And I, that whole year with that teacher, we always had friction. And, and that whole year, I was never willing to like reflect on, what am I really doing here? Every day, my dad would say, you got to learn to show your work. And I'd be like, but I don't. You know, and like, I, I was so defiant the whole year. And the end result was something that had been joyful for me wasn't really joyful at all. I think of wisdom in the idea of shaping much more than the idea of knowledge applied or something. I think that wisdom is about recognizing contours. And, and this is very abstract. I'm going to go into it more, but I, but I like this definition, recognizing contours. It's seeing the shape and seeing how it got that way. If iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, then the question of wisdom is, do I know what I'm being shaped into? Do I know how I got here? And do I know how to make sure I'm shaped the right way going forward? That's wisdom. It's not just about experience. It's about having a right understanding of what's shaping you, why, and how. I used to, like, balk at math and all these things, and now I'm working on a doctoral program, and I'm in that, and I have to make sure I have all my grammatical structures well, and I have to do footnotes right, and now instead of thinking, well, it's okay if I do it wrong, I've got all the right information, I recognize if I don't do this right, I'll never finish this program, and so I put a lot more work in now because I know I need to do this, and I need to do this on these assignments, so when I get to the final thing, I'll have it done the right way. 
Wisdom is about recognizing your shape. It's about understanding it, and it's about looking to what's going to shape you in the future. Now, recognizing contours. I like images like this, like expectations versus reality. There's point A and there's point B, and then reality, there's point A and there's a point B. Um, And I, I like this imagery, but I will tell you, sometimes in life, point A to point B is that simple, right? And when it is that simple, recognizing the contour is saying, wow, that went the way I expected. I think wisdom, when everything goes kind of up in the air and stuff, it's about thinking, how did it get here, and how did that shape me? Wisdom is understanding the shape of things, how they got that way, and how they will be shaped. I was reflecting um, for this sermon, I'm, I'm going to tell a story in a little bit about when I first started at Moody, but one of the things I, I will never forget um, I never thought I'd go to Moody because in high school I got bad grades um, because I was a smart aleck. Um, but um, that's like my high school experience in a nutshell. Um, but when I went to Moody, I was sure I was going to graduate. Jess was teaching in the inner city. We were sure we're going to graduate in like three or four years and then we're going to be back in Iowa and I was going to work for a specific pastor. And so that was like, all right, we're, we're somewhere down here and, and we're like, okay, we're going to get to there and then we're going to go back to Iowa. Um, and then a lot of things happened that we don't have time for today. Um, but all of a sudden, I was like, I'm never going to be a pastor. I don't think that's worth it. I don't think I want to do that. And I was still at Moody at the time. And I started applying to jobs to be like working in Christian education and started really thinking I wanted to work for a Bible software company. Um, and I applied for jobs and did all these things. And I, I just kind of didn't think I'd ever be a pastor um, because of things that happened. And I, I not things I did, but things that happened to some people that were really close to Jess and I. And then, all of a sudden, um, there was like a a day where I'd started applying to churches again, but I felt like God wasn't opening any doors, and I felt like it was just a weird situation. And I got an email from, I think, churchstaffing.com about a church called Springbrook in Huntley, Illinois. And I just kind of went, oh, that looks like a fun job. And I filled out the application. I had said at Moody I'd never be a youth pastor again. And um, but, uh, and then, so I, I, I applied, and that same day, Pastor Dan called me and said, hey, and we had this whole conversation, and by, it was like within a week or two, it was like, oh, I guess this is what I'm going to do now, and I was thrilled by it, but it took all of these different turns. I, if you would have asked Jess and I, are we going to wind up in Huntley, Illinois, we would have said, where is that? Um, I would have assumed it was somewhere in, like, south, southern Illinois, um, I, know, I know some of you call Huntley a suburb of Chicago. Others of you know that it's, it's much more rural. I don't know. We can argue about that later. But the point is, wisdom is not about recognizing, it's not about, wow, what a crazy turns my life has taken. It's about thinking, how have I been shaped by all these crazy turns? How am I being shaped? And how will I continue being shaped? Wisdom is understanding your shape, how you got that way, and what you will allow to keep shaping you. Now, I'm going to give a couple examples here. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, in the first service, I started positive and then went negative, so we're going to flip it this time and see if that goes better, because you know you're supposed to do a sandwich of like a positive, a negative, a positive. So by doing negative first, I've got the sandwich across both services. So when I think about shaping, something that I think has shaped me more this year than I want to admit in a lot of different ways um, so like, like we're, celebrating, we're celebrating our freedom, Independence Day today. And in the last year, I have seen on more flagpoles the F word 
than ever before. The F word related to our current president, and I, I don't care how you feel about him, it, it galls me that people think it's okay to post that. And it's been in, in very public places where people can't avoid seeing it. Our dad brag moment, um, Lucy knows most letters and the sounds most letters made or make. I'm glad that she can't put them together because I'm, I'm glad that Lucy cannot say, what is that word and why is that on a flag? But there's families that have kids older than mine that, that are dealing with that. And it just breaks my heart that that's in a public space. And, and what I think about, regardless of how someone feels about who's in the White House right now, I think about somebody went and bought that flag and said, I want to put this flag up. In some cases, took down their American flag and put that flag up in its place. And how is that shaping them every day to get up and see that? And how is that shaping those around them? It, it goes a step deeper um, because I, Jess and I, when we go on walks in our community, something that's broken my heart multiple times this year, um, there are some people who have put up flags that they're white supremacist flags. There's not a lot of ways to cut around it. They are, they are not, and, and if they're not putting them up for that reason, I, I'd think about what flag I put up. But I, I bring this up because this is in our community and it breaks my heart. It makes me not want to walk down certain streets in downtown Huntley because I don't want to see those flags. And part of me doesn't want to run into the neighbor that would be willing to put those up. And look how that shapes a neighborhood. If, like, I, Jess and I like walking. I like, as we're walking, I'll pray over houses in my head, and I, I, I like being able to. We had a great encounter last week. We're praying we're going to see some high school boys at a, a movie night this Wednesday, and we just, we're praying for those interactions, and then our neighborhood feels less and less like a safe place. It feels not like somewhere that we'd be willing to just walk around in. And, and whatever your opinions on all this, which if you're a white supremacist, read the Bible, but whatever your opinions on this, I just think about how is someone shaped when not only do they lean that way, but they want everyone to know they lean that way. And they want everyone in the community to have to think about that every day. It can't be good. And that's a negative example of shaping. And I know what it's doing to me when I see it because it makes me angry. And, and what it should be doing is causing me to pray more and causing me to figure things out, but it doesn't always work that way. But I, I tell you about that one because I think we need to recognize we're being shaped by negative things. If you're watching a lot of negative media, it's shaping you no matter what you do. If you're watching a lot of overly positive media, it's shaping you no matter what you do. We need to be aware of what's shaping us, how it's shaping us, and we need to think about what we want to be shaping us. Now I get to tell you a good one. So we're closing the sandwich. Um, This is not a picture of Lucy. I promised last week I was done with pictures of Lucy. This is a picture of my mentor, Julius, who happens to have Lucy on his lap. Um, So um, Julius was a professor at Moody when I got there. Um, And my first semester at Moody, I I still remember, got off to a rocky start with him. I bought the wrong book. My first few interactions with him, I wonder if he thought I was an idiot. Um, my best friend thought I was an idiot, Marco. Um, Jess knows. Um, he told his wife about some dumb kid in class who asked stupid questions, and then I, it was me. Um, but I, I laugh at all that. But um, Julius has been an amazing mentor to me. And I, I want to tell you, um, I, when I first got to Moody and I had classes with him, I said, I want to learn to understand the Bible the way he does. 
And, um, and my first semester, I kept telling Jess, I'm going to spend every chance I can, I'm going to spend with him. And so one day I took him to Qdoba for lunch, um, which is a subpar burrito that has good, um, good queso. Um, and it was a really weird interaction. And then he found out I like video stuff. And so we talked a bit more um, because he was looking for someone to help him make some videos. Long story short, for Thanksgiving, they always, um, Julius is from a Caribbean island, and they always invite students, international students, who don't have anywhere to go for Thanksgiving, to come have lunch with them. And Julius mentioned it to our class, and I said, can I come? And he said, yeah. And he said, fill your car up. And so Jess and I, with I think an illegal number of people in our car, visited. Um, but it was, maybe, I don't know, she's not telling. But um, I'm, I'm about to share probably the quote that has shaped me the most as a Bible scholar. Um, and it came from Julius, because that night we ate and we mowed their lawn and raked their leaves and did all, we started a fire that almost went out of control. We did all of these things. And at the end of the night, sometime shortly before we left, long after dinner, sitting in the kitchen by candlelight, someone asked Julius the question, what is it like to know all the answers to questions about the Bible? Julius paused for a moment, finally responding, it is not that I know all the answers, I just know how to ask better questions. It's that statement that has stuck with me more than anything else in my life about how I want to study the Bible and how I want to teach others to consider the Bible as well. It's not that I know all the answers. I just know how to ask better questions. And this stuck with me so much. This is, uh, someday Julius and I are going to publish. This is the introduction of a book. Um, and I told this story in the book, and Julius, when I first told him it, he, like, that it was in there, he's like, you remember that? I don't remember that. And I was like, yes. I remember that moment because I went to Moody thinking, I want to have every answer to every question about this so that I can win every argument. I left Moody thinking, if we figured out how to study this on its terms, if we figured out how to ask questions in humility about this, how differently we would be shaped. And so wisdom is understanding your shape, how you got that way, and what you will allow to keep shaping you. Now, at this point, we're going to jump in, and we're going to try and answer this question using our passage for today. We're going to answer the question, what does it look like to respond with wise action, and how does it differ from integrity? Um, so here's our passage. I'm doing it in reverse order this week, because I've been learning. Um, so passage starts, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. It ends, when the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. And then in the middle, there's a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm going to read it in a minute, but this week I'm going to say, here's what to be looking for as we read it, instead of at the end saying, here's what you should have seen when I read those 20 verses all at once. So, wisdom is not static. It's dynamic. And what I mean by that is, the person who is rich may not always be rich. The person who is poor may not always be poor. The person who at one time in your life is a great example of righteousness and integrity may at another point be wicked. A, a righteous culture is going to be built up by people who understand how they're being shaped, what's shaping them, and making sure to focus on those things that are shaping them towards righteousness. Wisdom is about that. It's about looking and saying, what on earth is shaping me? Why am I letting it shape me? What should I be letting shape me? It's an intentional thing. It's not something we can just say, well, it's not my fault. It's something instead we have to think, whether this is my fault or not, what am I doing to make sure I'm not continually shaped in this wicked way? I'm going to read the passage now. 
Um, it's from Proverbs 29. It's verses 3 or 2 through 16. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. He who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. By justice a king builds up the land, but he who exacts gifts tears it down. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. An evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. Bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds back. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. The poor man and the oppressed meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. If a kingdom faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. So I hope you see, uh, again, we've done this last two weeks where we're saying on the the broad picture, I'd encourage you to go dig in and read this this week, but the broad picture here is about what's shaping you. Are, are you if, a, if a ruler is righteous, his followers will be righteous. If a ruler is wicked, wickedness will abound. If a ruler tries to be righteous but then allows wickedness, then the same outcome towards wickedness will occur. We're, we're called towards righteousness. It's not easy, but it's what we are called towards and the world wants us to, to not notice this. The world wants us to live in cheap wisdom. We're talking about cheap and costly each week. And this week, cheap wisdom. Cheap wisdom says, my experiences have shaped me into who I am. I mentioned this earlier, and I will reiterate. This is every Instagram influencer out there. It's, it's what they are. This is every country music song. This is, this is Kelly Clarkson. Um, this is, it, it is, it's, it, if you look at the wisdom of the world, it's, these things have happened to me and I have become stronger for them. And it's cheap. It's cheap because everything, it, things happen to everyone. They may be different what happens to you than someone else, but if you're just wiser and stronger because you went through it, then why is not every old person perfectly wise? Because that's not what wisdom is. Cheap wisdom says I need to figure out life for myself. I have been guilty of this many times. I I like to think I can figure it out on my own. Back off. Let me do this. And how arrogant. Not just because arrogant, because do I really think I can figure it all out on my own? But also because why not be lifted up by a community that can say, hey, here's what I've been through. Wisdom comes with age and experience. I feel like I've already beat this horse dead, but I, I just want to say, there are foolish old people, there are wise young people. No one really knows what is coming in the future. This is something I hear people say all the time that they think is super wise, and there's a, a flip side of it that I think is much wiser. Cheap wisdom says, if it does not kill me, it will make me stronger. 
And this one to me is one of the most foolish ideas in the world. If I do something terrible to someone else and I don't die, look how much stronger I am on the other. Like, like the logic of it just falls apart so fast. And we can say, well, sometimes it's true. Okay, but that doesn't mean it's wisdom. That means it's contextual. Cheap wisdom says, let me live my life. Let me live my life. Let me do it my way. I, I did it my way. I can't sing, but wisdom is knowing I can't sing and knowing it would shape you all to leave our church if I tried singing from up here. Cheap wisdom is an unwillingness to admit that experience is not really that useful on its own. It is demonstrated when a person recognizes that their life has shaped them without asking the question how their life has been shaped. Cheap wisdom is, is experience without reflection. That's the easiest way to explain it. It's not thinking, what happened to me? It's just thinking, okay, that happened. And I'm on the other side. Costly wisdom, on the other hand, asks instead of says. Cheap wisdom says, my experiences have shaped me into who I am. Costly wisdom asks, how have my experiences shaped me into who I am? There have been times in my life where I have been discipled by people or where I've allowed myself to be discipled or where I'd followed after people in general where I look back and say, what time I wasted and how poorly that shaped me. And praise the Lord that that that's not where I stand today, but, but it's something that I need to recognize because if I don't recognize that, I'm going to keep being shaped in the same way. Cheap wisdom says I need to figure life out for myself. Costly wisdom asks, what makes me think I can figure life out alone? I mean, it's that simple. How arrogant to think I'll figure it out for myself. You, you don't figure really anything out for yourself. If we did not teach Lucy words, she wouldn't know words. So like it's from, from like that point on, Lucy hasn't figured out anything on her own. And dad brag, she's figured so many things out. But most of what she figures out comes from seeing others and learning and understanding. Cheap wisdom says, wisdom comes with age and experience. Costly wisdom asks, who has been here before and done this well? Now, um, I'm going to give an example here. And um, Jess said I handled this poorly last service. Um, And so I have to... (laughs) I'm just going to do it the same way, though. Uh, (laughs) Okay. I'm about to talk about something, and when I do, I want you to know I don't really want your feedback on it. It's not that I don't love you. It's that Jess and I have been very intentional about this. Um, Jess and I have a 20-month-old who at some point will be a 2-year-old and then a 3-year-old, and at some point, we might need to decide whether or not we're going to spank her. And what we have decided as a couple, or what at one point, one of us was pro-spank, the other one was no-spank, and we kind of went back and forth, and we talked about this, and what we decided was we're going to call up some former students and ask them, did your parents spank you? And specifically, we didn't, we didn't call up students that were like, we don't want our kids to be like that. We called up students that we felt like the, the respect we saw, their respect for authority and their family unit, we wanted to know what they did. And so we called a few different families, and in every case, we found out they did spank, so one of us was right. Um, but, but also, also we've talked to adults and one of the thing in talking to parents that we've learned is that 
it's not just, well, we're going to spank. We need to think intentionally about it because there are good ways to spank and there are bad ways to spank. And, and I know many of you probably have opinions about this. Uh, what, what Jess and I decide, we, we actually do have some family members that don't spank that we really admire how they raise their kids. And so we just go back and forth. But what we're working on right now is figuring out, based on those that we've seen do it well, what can we learn from them and how can we help shape our family the way they've shaped their family? Does that make sense? It's not about one thing. It's about a bunch of things. And so after this service, please don't come tell me, don't spank your daughter, do spank your daughter. I, I promise it probably won't influence me a whole lot. Um, but it's not that I don't value your opinion. It's just we've been working on this a while. So um, next, um, no one really knows what is coming in the future. That's cheap wisdom. Costly wisdom asks, how can I ensure my future shape is righteous? I can't control what's coming up in my life, but I can do what I can to make sure I, I keep looking like Jesus in those moments. And I can do what I can to put things in front of me that are going to shape me in that way. That's all I can really control. Cheap wisdom says, if it does not kill me, it will make me stronger. Costly wisdom asks, am I responding to intense trials well? And I put this one here because when someone says, it didn't kill me, so it made me stronger, um, I am a person who likes to overload myself with 40 things. And then in a season where I no longer have 40 things, I think, well, I can have 39 things. It's not quite the 40 as before. And what happens is when I get time to reflect after, I realize, man, I wasn't the husband I wanted to be there. Even if I was the pastor I wanted to be or the whatever, I wasn't the husband. I, my household was not taken care of the way I should, and that's my first responsibility. And so what I have learned over time um, is that if I don't watch it, my shaping goes south and, and goes wicked, even as I think I'm doing a bunch of things for the Lord, because I'm not really taking care of what the Lord has called me to first. Cheap wisdom says, let me live my life. Costly wisdom, wisdom asks, how can I be like Christ? And I think the key to costly wisdom, as I study this and think about shaping, the key to costly wisdom is recognizing there's a shape there's a likeness. There's a person that we are supposed to look more and more like, and that's Jesus Christ. And if our wisdom allows us to not look more and more like him, it's cheap. We are called to be conformed to his likeness. We are called to imitate him. We are called to look more and more like him. And so if we are not reflecting and thinking about that, we're moving the wrong way. Costly wisdom is demonstrated by having a continual pattern of recognition and reflection on how sin is shaping us towards wickedness, God is shaping us towards righteousness, asking why we are trending whichever way, and taking steps to be shaped towards righteousness. You cannot control everything in your life, but you, can, you should be able to control in many cases what has influence on you, and you should be able to intentionally move towards those things that are shaping you well. Now, an example of cheap wisdom, and I'm, I'm using like a super broad, this is something you do have to kind of discover for yourself, but I hope you will see the big idea here. Let's say you are a person who every day when you get off work, you gamble a portion of your paycheck every day. And at some point in your life, you realize I probably shouldn't do this. And you go, I should probably replace it with something so I'm not gambling anymore. And then you decide... I'm just going to eat a dozen donuts every time I feel the urge to gamble. In the immediate moment, it might be a much better choice, right? 
but it's going to shape you. Um, and, and I joke here, but it, it's going to shape you. And this, this is where this gets so nuanced because it's not just about, I'm not going to do the terrible thing. It's about what am I going to do instead? That's costly wisdom. It's not about, I'm not going to go to that one thing on my computer or on my phone. I'm, I'm not going to go to that one page. It's about what pages should I be going to? How are they shaping me? It's, it's not about saying, I, I don't watch this show because there's multiple bad things, but I'll watch this show because there's less bad things. It's about thinking, how am I being shaped by this? It's about asking, should I be doing this in the first place? And it's about thinking, what is this going to do to me? How is this going to make me look more like Jesus or less like Jesus? If you're a Christian, that's the call. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in us. That's why we need community. That's why we can't do this alone. I, I, we're, I, this is just my, I'm, I'm, again, i beating a lot of dead horses today. But um, if I can just say one thing, we're going to have a bunch of open small groups this fall. And we have people that I know are not in small groups. And what I want to encourage you in is, this is the year. You, you've got time because you haven't had a chance to fill it yet because we're still kind of on the upswing from COVID. We're, we're coming off of it. And so you'll probably have more time unless you fill it with stuff. And so I want to challenge you to, to fill it with something that you know will shape you in the right way. And I think our small groups will do that. We're going to be in First John. Um, I, I said this last week. It might be too harsh, but um, I'll say it again. Um, I don't know what you will get out of the series if you're not in a small group talking about it because it's a, it's a sermon series on, on fellowship and on, on our togetherness. It's a series on what it looks like to live out our Christian values. And it starts by living together and our shoulders rubbing and, and engaging with each other. It starts with all of that kind of stuff. And so if we don't do that, I don't know what you're going to do this fall. Um, I don't know. It is up to you. I can't make you do it, but are you going to be intentional? Are you going to make sure you're being shaped by things that are worthwhile? That's your choice. And if I can say one last thing, Proverbs 29 offers a unifying warning. Right in the center, we go, we go understanding and integrity and wisdom and then modeling. We'll talk a lot about next week. We're gonna, next week's going to be just so fun as we talk about modeling. Um, but um, right here in the center, there's a warning. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. The imagery here, the image, stiffen, stiffening a neck, it's, it's like imagining you're, you're headed a direction and it's not the right direction. Someone says, hey, um, you need to turn. You need to turn. And over and over, you stiffen your neck. No, I'm going to keep going this way. And the imagery is eventually you're going to take a step or you're going to do something or snap. Your neck's going to break. I cracked my neck there. Um, that was, felt nice. But um, this won't be as nice if you're broken beyond healing. The idea here is the idea that there are times in our lives and there, there, if we're not willing to step towards righteousness, we're going to hit points or snap, we can't do it anymore. And you may say, well, does that mean I don't get into heaven? And I, I, I don't think it means that. What I think it means is we're called to look like Jesus. And when we get to heaven, I hope that God, I hope what I hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. I hope when I get there, I'm not limping in. I hope that the Lord is looking at me saying, come on in. And I can say, well, you are really the one who did all this through me. But at least he'll say, well, good job being obedient, because that's what we're called to be. And, and this it's challenging. I know that this is challenging. I know this isn't easy, but, but we have to recognize that if we're not moving towards righteousness, 
It's Satan wins if we're not looking more and more like Jesus. That, that's all he's got to do is get us off that track, and he's feeling good about it. I'd encourage you, if you're looking for a fun summer read, The Screwtape Letters is a book from a father demon to his, or an uncle demon to his nephew demon talking about all the ways to keep a Christian from looking like Christ. It's a, it's a hard read, but it's a good read. But what I will tell you is that Satan isn't thinking, I need you to look more like me. He's thinking, I need, to, I need you to look less like Christ. And we're being called to look like Christ. Jesus didn't die so we would all just stay where we're at. He died so that we could live up to what God created us to be. We were created in the image of God to reflect God's image on this earth. Jesus came and was the only human to ever perfectly do that. He was fully human. He was fully God. And then when he died and rose again, through him we have his Holy Spirit. And we now have the opportunity to do what he did, empowered by his Spirit. And that's what we're called to do. And so my challenge for you as we close, it's about the fall. Go, go today to your parades. Go eat hot dogs. Go sit in the air conditioning and binge watch something like I will be doing with my pregnant wife on a 90 degree day, go do whatever, but start thinking about your fall intentionally. Start thinking, how am I going to be shaped this fall? What shape am I right now? And what am I going to do to make sure I'm being shaped to look more and more like Jesus? Iron sharpens iron, and I want to look like something worth being shaped into. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you have done. We thank you that you are a perfect king, that through your example, we are given a picture of perfect righteousness. We thank you that your desire for us and your gift to us in the Holy Spirit is just the, the ability to follow after you in obedience. And we know we cannot be perfect, but we thank you that you were perfect for us. We pray that as hard as this is, because it is hard to think. I, I, I know I cannot live up to what I'm preaching right now, but I want to try. And I want to be in a community where people help shape me towards the type of person you have called me to be, you created me to be. I'm thankful that when we fell, you did not leave us far from you, but you've provided us ways back to you. And I pray that we would live up to that. I pray that your spirit would be moving. I pray that you would be challenging us. I pray that you'd be helping us think about the ways we are going to be intentionally shaped this fall here at Springbrook. I know we've still got a couple months to go, but Lord, I pray that you would be working on us now. I pray that you would be just moving in our midst. And we thank you that through your spirit, we can take comfort that you are here with us. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, you are the resurrected king. We thank you that you invite us to be a part of your kingdom and that your kingdom is a place of righteousness. We pray we would reflect you and your kingdom values. In your name we pray, amen.